Welcome back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the former number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm, now bringing you the best TV shows and movies weekly in an easily digestible podcast packed with laughs by me, Ross Bolin, and my old pal, Mr. Barrett Dudley. We're Barrett. like we're like the, uh, the, di- the easily digestible, we're like the diet that you can that you have to stay on when your tum tum hurts. They say gut health is the most important health. They do say that gut health is the most. Some Im- people say that. Yeah. I don't say that. But we're digestible, like bananas, rice, high in fiber, applesauce, and you know what? I'm going to forget the fourth one. Those oh, it's the good. brat. It's the brat diet. The fourth one is toast. Wow. Bananas, right? I believe it's rice, applesauce, and toast. You are. The, the you would be the diet. best doctor I've ever had just based on that <laughs> information alone. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this episode of Oysters, Clams, and Cockles is brought to you by Lisa. And Lisa knows how important rest is to a better life. It's the foundation of a healthier, happier you. And to Lisa, a bed is more than just a place to sleep. It's a place for relaxation and rest. All Lisa's products have been thoughtfully designed to go beyond creating a comfortable bed to transform your bedroom into a sanctuary you'll actually want to spend time in. And that's exactly what Lisa's most advanced luxury hybrid mattress made with premium foams and springs for enhanced pressure relief with edge-to-edge support is going to do for you. It's what it did for me. It's what it did for Barrett as well. Both of us have a hybrid, and uh, they're incredible. It's thoughtfully designed with the best of both worlds in mind. Uh, The sweet, luxurious hybrid is the best bed I've ever had. It's the most comfortable mattress I've ever owned. I've said it time and time again. I also love Lisa's pillows and blankets. Highly recommend them. Lisa makes it easy for their customers to know they've made the right choice through their social impact initiatives as well uh, that are tied to each purchase. Like, for instance, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell through organizations that work in causes like foster care prevention, which is very cool. To date, they've donated more than 33,000 mattresses through more than 1,000 nonprofits. Lisa mattresses are made in the USA. In-home delivery and setup is available, as well as financing, if you want to go that route. Don't miss out. Live healthier, live happier by resting deeper. Order today, Clam Fam. Get 15% off any mattress for a limited time at lisa.com slash dragon. Promo code is dragon. Keep in mind, you also get 100 nights risk-free trial, plus free shipping and returns. lisa.com slash dragon. Uh, a little bit of news. Before we hop into our main topic of discussion today, first news, off, news. Go ahead with the news, and then I have a clam fam correction as well. It's been a while since we did one of those. Hey, yeah, so. I, I just stopped correcting myself. Yes, but I'd like to. I just wanted to throw the clam family a little nod to to you know so that they know that uh, when 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 we make mistakes, we still are listening and we know it. We're accountable. We're accountable. You're yes. my accountability buddy. Accountability buddies. Exactly. Well, what's the clam fam correction? You want to just get Let's that just one out of the that way first. In the hubbub of last week, when I was talking about all, all sorts of Marvel properties and who bought which ones, oh yeah, yeah, I knew I knew I was going to make a mistake oh, here. By the way, of course, but I, I threw Warner Brothers in there, and Warner Brothers belonged nowhere in that conversation because okay. Warner Brothers is DC Comics. Ah, got it. So that so if whatever I said that Warner Brothers did, they didn't do. There okay. was Marvel Entertainment. Disney bought Marvel Entertainment in two thousand and nine. But for whatever reason, Fox still owned the rights to the X-Men characters and the Fantastic Four characters. So That's with this with this most recent acquisition of that Disney just made of buying Fox, they now own the whole Marvel, you know, ensemble. It's a monopoly. They own all of them. They own all the characters now. And but Warner you Brothers must be the monopoly. Warner guy. Brothers did not belong in that conversation. So um, thank you to the uh, our listener that corrected me. The comic book community is a passionate, a passionate one. Yes. These fans of these superheroes, they'll get you. They'll come for your throat. 
I'm glad you corrected that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had uh, to. In news, Amelia Clark opened up saying she believes playing Daenerys Targaryen on Game of Thrones actually saved her life. Here's the quote. I always say that Daenerys literally saved my life because it puts you in quite the headspace when you've had a brain injury. Uh, this is with Variety Studio in an Actors on Actors interview with Regina Hall. She said, Walking in her shoes, I just put so much more into each season because it really was life or death. I felt so powerfully that she was saving me. I could only see her. It's just a cool, I mean, we already knew a little bit of this, mm-hmm, but it's just a cool uh, quote or soundbite if you want to go listen to it. Um, from Amelia Clark opening up about her experience playing Danny and all the all the obvious trauma she experienced going through multiple brain aneurysms and uh, all that. In other news related to Game of Thrones, Jeannie Finley, the, the woman who directed The Last Watch, mm-hmm. which we're obviously talking about on Patreon, the first podcast episode of which is available already on Patreon.com. That's true. That is Cockles. true. She spoke out about the season eight petition uh, to rewrite Game of Thrones with competent writers. And I thought her little quote was good, so I wanted to share it. She said, quote, so if you want to set up a petition, go for it. Or if you want to complain about the show, go for it. Game of Thrones is about the show, but is also about the community who love the show and feel passionate about that. There's also going to be strong opinions, so I sort of think it's okay for people to express their passion in whatever form that takes. It's hard to say goodbye. If you love something, it's hard to let go. And sometimes you're the meanest to the person you love the most. That is the perfect explanation for what happened. It's a very, very, very well put. And I did, I, I saw a few, a few threads of, of thought following that, that, similar... that essentially fo- reflected that same sentiment where it's like, the, you, you actually have to give, j- the fact that there was so much loud criticism in the petition and the people just like raining down firestorms via Twitter and other online channels. Yes, it's incredible because all it goes to show is how much people were invested and loved this show. How much people cared. How much people cared. Right. Exactly. It's a yeah. thin line between love and hate. It 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 truly is, Barrett. <laughs> it truly fucking is. And on that note, let's get into Chernobyl. Ooh. Where there's mostly Chernobyl. not a lot of light. Not a lot of happiness. Not a lot of bright parts of this uh five part mini series that HBO created. Not many. Not many, but you know. But some. This episode in particular was a lot lighter by way of not including any puppy slaughter. That's true. Uh, (laughs) So I I obviously have gotten all the way caught up. I've watched the finale that aired uh, yesterday on Monday night. Uh, We're recording on Tuesday. Y'all won't hear this till Wednesday. But the puppy slaughter, you were not exaggerating. It was... It wasn't so much, I mean, you, they did a lot of it off screen, mm-hmm. off to the side. Yes. Yeah. But you're there for it. Right. And it's that you keep coming back. Like you go with the puppy guys and I was like, ah, oh, this sucks. I know what's about to happen. Tay had to leave the room, by the way. <laughs> I watched the puppy guys. She comes back in the room. We go back about the show. Then the puppy guys are suddenly back. And I was like, <laughs> oh shit. So I had to hit pause. She has to leave again. That happened three times. Yeah, no, you couldn't just you couldn't just skip the one scene. Right, you, you if you were either hiding your eyes with a blanket or leaving the room or going down to your phone to avoid it. Yeah, uh, completely like you do with social interaction. Right, uh, <laughs> amongst your friends, it's puppy uh, slaughter then, and social then, interaction. Yes. Those are the things we avoid. Then, um, then yeah, you had to do it multiple times. I now several people kind of let us know that a few of these things that we've kind of questioned uh, on our podcast, they talk about in the Chernobyl podcast. So I, I did a little bit of listening to the official to the HBO. HBO Chernobyl podcast just to get a little, you know, to get some insight. Ah. And so I, so I listened to most of the podcast about this episode in particular, the puppies one. Okay. Just to, to hear 
the showrunner's kind of thoughts about things. About the penultimate. And it was, yeah, about the penultimate episode. And it was kind of like I, like I had said last week. I mean, they're showing like the dehumanization of the many, many thousands of men that were conscripted to like, yes, go do this. It was representative of like almost Russia's humanity as a whole. Yeah. Like ev- everybody that had to do the things that had to be done to keep the entire continent from being ruined was yes. affected. Yes. That was the point. Um, and, in, and in fact, this was like, a real story from people that that oh wow you know that had to be part of this team essentially this uh, part of the cleanup you and there was uh, there was apparently this was a scene that was in the script and that they shot and this part they left on the cutting room floor because it was too much but and, but this is also derived from the telling of a of a real story that happened but oh no if, but apparently when they are like what really happened was when they are you know dumping the bodies of pets yeah i looked away into the into the I mean, hole I, I saw the beginning like when you know they start to tumble they, they notice that one of the puppies or dogs or whatever is still alive oh my god and they don't want to bury it alive in cement still alive right but they're also out of bullets Come on. And so dot, 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 he doesn't finish the story, but they left that, they left this out of the Dude, of were the they going to make one of them crawl into the pit and choke Flat, out a or dog? Or something horrific like that, even more horrific. Oh, I'm glad they pulled that. So yeah, so-, so We had they, enough. Yeah. <laughs> we had enough. They knew where, they, I mean, they, they bumped up against the line, but they knew where they could not just completely break through it. That that may have and gotten stomp on it a lot of people to drop, <laughs> yes, exactly. like to drop the show. Yes, exactly. Like Taylor I, yeah. wouldn't have watched the finale, yeah. and I think they, I think they knew that. Okay, that's well, wow. Okay. Oh, by the way, there's going to be some spoilers about Chernobyl in this episode. We're going to talk about Chernobyl pretty much the entire episode today. If you have not watched Chernobyl on HBO yet, obviously you need to go watch it and then come back. Or if you don't give a shit, uh, it's historical for the most part. We're not going to ruin anything about the show. There, there is, yeah. Anything that we talk about today is really only going to be a light spoiler in the fact that this is based on history. And you have to watch it to experience it, really. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you what happens and then have it be ruined for you because you literally, it's the visualization of it that they've created that is so good. Right. That's the experience. So, five parts, like I said, starring Jared Harris, who, if he doesn't win an Emmy, I don't understand how Emmys work anymore. Stellan Skarsgård, because there has to be a Skarsgård and everything. And then Emily Watson, who played a character that actually represented, like, Hundreds of characters. Komyuk. Yes, Komyuk. <laughs> Kom- I love Russian names more than any names. They're the best. And it was a dramatization. Dramatization? Sort of. Dramatization? Dra- oh, thank God. Someone knows how to say it. Of the 1986 <laughs> nuclear accident uh, at Chernobyl, one of the worst man-made catastrophes in history. Uh, and then, of course, all about the sacrifices made to save Europe from unimaginable, di- unimaginable disaster in the aftermath of what went down. So I'm going to jump in here with a couple of things, just uh, kind of quick asides. See, we wondered about the accents. Ah, the Brits. The Brits. So Stellan Skarsgård, not a Brit. He's just got whatever his accent is, Norwegian or Swedish. He's Swedish, of, I believe. He's one of those islands. Yeah. The Skarsgård. Are they, are they islands? Oh, I, you pr- but they're not islands. They're, uh, <laughs> you know... Whatever that word, is. I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're gonna get bashed for our uh, suck geography. It, suck at geography. Our knowledge now. of geography. Now, anyways, they they thought about Russian accents, and then they first thing Russian accents can get comical. Yeah, oh, very. Yeah, they're often used in comedy. Yeah, like if everybody's just talking in a Russian accent, then in Mother Russia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So they wanted to avoid that. 
And then the other thing that the showrunner mentioned is that if you have everybody do a Russian accent, people play the accent instead of playing the character. Yeah. So then people are like leaning too hard into the accent or trying too hard with the accent. And they're not just they're, they're They got to worry about the accent and the acting rather than just the acting. I'm glad they went this route. So they just said, you know what? Screw this. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't. We're not talking in Russian. Right. So why do we need them to do the Russian accents? We're just going to have everybody just talk like in their regular accent. And focus on the acting. And focus on the acting and the story. The only thing that we will not do is include any Americans here because that would pull you like out Way of Way out. Yeah. Then you're just To like, be like, why is this dude an American when I'm trying to learn about Russia here? Right. So that that is, uh, you know. Was that also included in the in That the was podcast? included in the podcast. That was included in the nice, podcast. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Love that. Um, the show, the miniseries rather, is already being heralded as one of the best things to be made on television in 2019. Uh Again, Jared Harris is picking up major Emmy steam, which he undoubtedly deserves. For the past five weeks, six million people cumulatively tuned in to watch Chernobyl, which by some estimates is now the highest rated show uh, ever to air on television. By I'm talking about viewers and critics ratings on like Rotten Tomatoes and shit. What, wait, what do you mean? What are you saying? That it's ratings on certain parts of the internet are higher than any show ever made. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Ever. But, Which but is not obviously... The, but rating, not the view, not the... Uh, not the numbers on the, the numbers. No, 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 no. The rating of the show, yes. the quality rating is, yeah. Thank you. Six yes. million people is not near uh, the record for but tuning in. kind of it's incredible a ton, though. for a miniseries on HBO. That's about the most depressing disaster that's ever occurred, possibly. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it, it, dude, this is a... Uh, it is. It, it was a horror show, basically. Can like, I just say, give me more of this. Give me five episode stories yes. that you just break down in five parts and just inject that shit into my veins, man. Like, I don't... Not everything has to be 10 or 12 episodes. Right. It, that, that's true. This was so... I, I'm I like... This was incredible, and they just got to jam-pack it full of, like, quality scenes and storytelling... Because they didn't try to overextend themselves and do make this ten episodes. So the guy who made it, Craig Mazin. Yeah, he's and he's one of the guys that's on the podcast. Okay, cool. So that's... it's him. It's he's one half of the people talking on the podcast. For the record, my reasoning on not listening to HBO's Chernobyl podcast is because I don't like only one of the two of us needs to be apprised of what or praised of what the fuck is going on. Well, and and I from look, their perspective, I, a lot of times I won't listen to some podcasts because I don't want to be overly influenced by them. Right, right. I don't want yeah. to just come on our podcast and then regurgitate a bunch of shit, regurgitate a bunch of shit that I heard on other podcasts because exactly. that's no fun. No. But in this case, because people had t- had mentioned that like some of the things that we had questions about or addressed, I thought it was best Absolutely. to at least Absolutely. get the knowledge. So the craziest thing about Chernobyl, the television show, not the nuclear disaster, for me is the guy behind it, Craig Mazin whose name, you notice, is splattered almost obnoxiously all over the credits because he literally did everything. (laughs) Now, what's crazy about Mazin is that his most notable credits prior to Chernobyl were the sequels to the year 2000's hit comedy, The Hangover. (laughs) Really? That's what this dude did before, (laughs) Hangover 2 and 3. Man. And then he was like, you know what I want to tackle next, Chernobyl. Well, you know, in in, in the words of, uh, of Harry from Dumb and Dumber... He completely redeemed himself. He did. He completely redeemed himself. Here's a quote from Craig Mazin on storytelling that he gave Variety. Quote, I work in a narrative business. I'm a narrative salesman. So I'm a little bit like a drug dealer. And I'm aware that there are perfectly good uses for this drug. And more to the point, I'm not sure human beings can really understand or learn about the world around them without it. 
I just like this guy. Yeah. Just from the get go. Yeah. He's awesome. Um, Sometimes you just gotta you gotta stack that paper and get that paycheck too. So oh for sure, Hangover oh. Two and Hangover Three were probably nice paydays for this man. I have to imagine he was paid well to make the Hangover movies, but uh, they were booty <clears throat> in a word bad. They were booty cheeks <laughs> in two words. They were booty cheeks. Um, Barrett, how much of the success of Chernobyl before you know? I'm kind of hopping around a yeah, bit here, yeah, but that's fine. Do you attribute? To Game of Thrones being widely roasted during the entire final season. Like, it seems like people were ready to be positive about something, and nothing screams positivity like a global nuclear catastrophe that literally almost ruined the largest continent on Earth. I think HBO is the smartest television network in existence. Still. And they've they've been that way for a long time, and I think that they know what they're doing. Yeah, they, they do seem to know. I am sure that when the heads and the you know the the people that that have a say in the scheduling and the programming the suits saw chernobyl they were like man we got to well, let's let's just pop this right onto the end of game of thrones because right. this is going to get a ton of buzz yep it's an unbelievable story it's going to win emmys it's exceptional filmmaking and whatever happens with game of thrones it's going to be like not only are you going to have like the eyeballs right. on HBO? Right. But if it goes a little sideways, we've got this masterpiece following it. It really was a win-win for them to just plug it in midway through season eight and let it ride, sort of. Yeah. yeah. And and you'll notice, and I'm I'm serious, like this, I I genuinely think that this is purposeful because you'll notice that they didn't they didn't they didn't throw euphoria in there. Right. They have a full season Halfway of shit through. that they're yes. promoting that's coming out later. Exactly. They in, in, the, in the coming specific, weeks. Yes. They use this specific and they moment. Didn't, and they didn't need to burn Big Little Lies because that's an you know that's another like consensus television show that a lot of people are going to watch regardless. Right. So it doesn't need the Game of Thrones lead in. So to tack this little kind of like side project that they knew was awesome right onto the end was for me smart. I had probably lost sight of the fact that HBO is the best in the world at what they do as a result of there just being more competition than ever with Amazon, Netflix, et cetera, et cetera, Hulu. This reaffirmed them for me that nobody's doing it better than them. Nobody. Nobody. And I'll also say we got the, the release month and like the, you know, during the kind of final trailer or maybe not, no, probably not the final one, but for the current trailer of Succession. Yeah. Either right, but I think yeah, I think right before if you were watching on HBO Go, so that was not there before, right? That the thing that popped up and it was like coming in August or whatever. We didn't have a date for okay. I didn't think so. I was just making. Is it August? Yes. Yeah. And I don't think they've given any. They they haven't been more specific. Just the month. We just know that it's August. Soon enough to get me pumped. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, like I have like almost like Thrones like anticipation for Succession. I'm with you. I don't know. I don't know that that's fair. But it's um it's a it's the most hyped I've been for a TV I'm show. I'm jazzed for yeah. season two of Succession, <laughs> dude. This the first season was fucking awesome, and it like it, it just, had everything. Oh man, it looks so good. It, it really looks does. So good. What's going on with the dad? Is he okay though mentally? Yeah, yeah. And he's got Kendall as his little you know foot soldier dude. again, just doing what daddy says, and it's going to be so tight. So it's was good. The, was the thing that happened in season one with his brain? Like a mini stroke or something, yeah. and now he's fucking fine. Yeah, people just... have heart attacks and mini strokes all the time, and and they they rise they rise back like a phoenix from the ashes. Sick, <laughs> <laughs> like a phoenix from the ashes. What? 
Uh, okay, back to Chernobyl. He seems to be fine is what I'm he saying. He does seem yes, to be quite yes. okay. He recovered. You know, he's got, what, 1400 billion gazillion dollars. Like, this man can afford the best right. health care in the world. They melt down the money and they pour it in your ear. That, yeah, exactly. I found this opening bit in an article uh, from Wired, actually. It was written by Emily, Emilia, Emily Dreyfus. Uh, another very accurate statement here. I wanted to give her some credit. Emily Dreyfus on Wired, okay? She said, quote, Animals are dying in droves across the globe. It's 123 degrees in India. U.S. politics are a garbage fire. Diseases eradicated by science have been reanimated by <laughs> ignorance. Technology meant to unite people has divided them instead. But hey, at least we're not dealing with a nuclear meltdown. <laughs> that dude, that really summed up for me though. Like, I went deep and hard on like, okay, don't get me wrong, Chernobyl, excellent, excellent miniseries. Mm-hmm. But the reception seems to have been a bit overblown. You think it's like, okay. Yeah. And I think it was the result of like, at first I was just like, okay, it was Thrones. But then the deeper I read into it, and then this particularly well-written little piece here from Emily Dreyfus, it, we were just set up perfectly for this. Like, shit is so bad in the real world that it was nice to get a reminder that it could be worse. Yeah, oh yeah. We could be in Russia during the fucking Soviet Union where things were absolutely awful everywhere all the time. And yeah. everybody lied about it. It was fucking the closest thing to North Korea we'll ever have. Yes. I mean, yes. or that we've ever had yeah. in the past anyway. Um... So obviously Chernobyl is a real thing that happened in real life, uh, and the HBO miniseries is based on that real life event, right? So I went in and looked around at like how comparable uh, history is to the actual miniseries and found some quotes from Craig Mazin, the, the writer, on what and how he chose what to include or not include uh, based on that. And he's a quote, it became clear that there were certain aspects of the story that everyone agreed on. In history, he means, right? So, like, in, you know, world history. Those stories struck me as terrifying and shocking. From that point forward, if there was a conflict, I would go with the less dramatic and less shocking, less sensationalist versions because I had enough. So he's saying if he hit a point in the story or in history or in the notes that he was studying about this whole fucking thing where one version was more dramatic than the other, he went with the less shocking, less sensationalist version because he didn't need... (laughs) Because he didn't need to go with the more sensationalist. Which doesn't mean that the version he went with is the accurate version. Mm -hmm. It just means it's the one he chose for his storytelling purposes, which is important to remember. As horrible as this was on screen, it can't do justice to what happened in real life. And I remember watching some of the documentary footage of Chernobyl... like. There is footage from the place, right? Mm-hmm. You see mm-hmm. some of it in the credits, yes. actually. Yeah. I remember watching that shit in middle school and just being like, bro, what the fuck? But obviously nothing compares to seeing a five-part, five-hour detailed character analysis of what the fuck went down in the USSR. Like, I, I just can't even... It blew my mind. He was choosing the less dramatic, exciting version of things for the sake of realism, (laughs) and we still ended up with what we watched. Uh, um, Let me finish this quote real quick. So he said, uh, we're dealing with a largely oral history. There's a lot of written material, but the written material occasionally disagrees with itself. It's a story that took place in a closed society. There's a lot of challenges there. One of the biggest takeaways from this five-part miniseries was just how crazy shit got in communist Russia. Yeah. Just how secretive, and you, you we, we all heard about this in America. We've known about how crazy shit got in Russia since we were little kids. 
Uh, we, I've spoken in other podcast episodes about how the in Mother Russia, blank, blank, shoe joke is like one of the most repeated jokes in American <laughs> comedy. And it, this is why. It truly was one of the most backward places on earth for an extended period of time. Yeah, and they, they didn't, we didn't have a lot of information for several years. And then with the dissolution of the Soviet Union, then it started to come out. A lot of that stuff started to come out more and more. And a lot of it, unfortunately, will never come out because they fucking buried it deep within the depths of whatever hell the Soviet Union now lies. Yeah, I mean, li- like we're talking about, though, we just we just watched the show, which is largely very, very accurate. So I'm not sure that there are any other bombshells that could really come out where you'd, yeah. where you'd like it's really- It's not like we don't know whose fault it was. You we, know, know what I'm we, saying? we know whose fault it was. We know, we know about the other reactors that they weren't even going to fix. What the fuck? They were just going to deny. By the way, can I, I, I? How much did you appreciate um, Valeri's explanation there in the courtroom when he does the blue and red cards uh, explaining? Yes, how this all works, dude. I was like, this is. I'm sitting there like hands on, you know, hands on my hips, nodding my head. Like this is very helpful. Thank I was you. like, this is the best explanation anyone's ever given me about anything. Though. Yeah, I was that, like, this motherfucker needs to be a teacher. Yeah, well, or whoever wrote the line, he executed it perfectly. Great acting, but. The writing on this show was spectacular. Yes. Yeah, that was that was super helpful because it is one of the more difficult things to understand about this story is exactly the science of it. The science of the science behind it and what went wrong, how. Right. And I, I didn't know I kind of expected that this last episode was gonna be kind of all courtroom stuff. Right. So the fact that we got a lot of the kind of the flashback Dude. style like here's here's what happened, here's how it all looked, here's how it went down was was very interesting and because of some of the documents that they do have and that were leaked yeah from the scientists that like interviewed the people that were in the room they know that some of that stuff was actually said out loud that's like fucking crazy like they know that some of those quotes i, I think it's uh you know akimov that says he says something like something strange just happened or something yeah. he's, he's got a line there with strange okay. and it and it's like verbatim what he said via in you the know fucking room right do Dude. like that at least via the oral history sweet sweet lord so i mean just it's a ghost town now you can't even go there they destroyed a no. part of the world yeah that's fucking hard to do and and part of like plant life and animal life has come back to Chernobyl, right? But it's 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 creepy. It's eerie because it's a deserted town that's been nothing for thirty years, and so you know it's basically like like I am legend. Yeah, you know when Will Smith is like in New York City, but it's just overrun with flora and fauna. Yeah, basically, it's just overgrown. It's yeah, that's that's essentially what it looks like. Also, name me another podcast that has said flora and fauna as much as this one. You can't. There you, you go. Can't. We are the flora and fauna <laughs> podcast. Everybody knows that about us. Yeah, dude, I saw a thing that said. You could probably stand for about four hours um, in some spots in Chernobyl still before succumbing to dangerous radiation and then slowly dying. Wow. Like if you just sat there for four hours, you'd, you'd be toast. Because the ground itself ca- and the fucking air itself carries that level of poison, which is just nuts. Today's episode of OCC is also brought to you by Burrow. Burrow is rethinking how people shop for and live with their furniture by making high-quality sofas that are customizable online, shipped for free in one week, and set up in minutes. I got their original armchair with ottoman. The options I personally chose for my armchair were the color beige, 
with dark wood and low arms. If you want to copy me, you copycat. It's awesome. It arrived so fast, it actually freaked me out. And it was incredibly easy to assemble, even for a mechanically idiotic human being like myself. It has quickly become the number one seating option in my house, not only for me and my wife, but for my dog, Bruce. This thing has become like his de facto throne. He loves it. He loves Burrow. uh, And so will you. Oh, by the way, scratch resistant and stain resistant. So your dog can't destroy or your little kid. If you got kids, uh, your new Burrow, it has a built in USB charger. So you never have to get up because you're sitting there to watch television and listen to your favorite podcast, Oysters, Clams, and Cockles. It's a sofa that grows with you. Burrows are easy to set up and disassemble. You can also make it bigger at any time. Uh, it was recently named one of the best inventions of 2018 last year by Time Magazine, and you can get $75 off your award-winning Burrow sofa by visiting burrow.com slash clams. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash clams to get 75 bucks off your order. Thank you again to Burrow for supporting the show. Back to our discussion, Barrett. Yes. Was the biggest takeaway for you watching Chernobyl, the miniseries, what can happen when governments lie with impunity, basically? Yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it, it's wild to watch officials and suits and government bureaucrats that are essentially, so like, two things that are so caught up with the outside perception of everything being perfect. Yes. So that the rest of the world thinks that everything that they do is perfect, which is inherently one of the things wrong with an insular government like yeah, that. Yeah, that makes no sense. Like if the government runs everything, then and, and like people are doubting this way of government, then the government feels even more pressure to make sure the outside world knows, no, 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 this, is, great. Wor- this is working perfectly. Everything is awesome and yes. 100% good. Yes. Dude, not wanting to admit a mistake is like one of the worst yes. things you can do as a human. Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, the, the fact that like, it, that, and so every single person in the step, in the chain of command is so petrified yeah. of acknowledging a mistake or admitting that mistake that shit like this happens. And it's it, another thing that I pulled from the, the first episode of the official podcast is that Mazin says, and, and I thought this was, you know, that he, he says this out loud is something that I kind of thought about. This only could have happened in the Soviet Union. It only could have been fixed by the Soviet Union. Yeah. Beca- because of those, because of that kind of like paradoxical Dude. way of thinking where it, you're so committed to you know, the party line of the, the cause, of, yeah. of the, the, cause the, the mother Russia, the, that the government is working this way that one, you can't acknowledge when anything bad is happening, but then two, when it does, you have an unparalleled like feeling of civic duty right, to the country. Right. Which you see in the miners, which that episode where they the, do with it the naked. miners yeah. or just, or all the dudes picking the shit off the roof. <laughs> Oh, you mean the guys actually picking the bio robots, yeah. quote unquote? Like, I mean, you know, this is it was, but yes, yeah. The 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 large takeaway is is exactly what they say it is. Man, it's it's <coughs> this is what happens when when everybody is basically awarded for lying. Did you feel like watching this was something that could happen again today? I, that was the scariest part for me. Was thinking about well, I I know how our government operates to a degree. I know that certainly our government, while not perfect, is among the best in the world. I know that nuclear power is more prevalent now than it was in the fucking 80s. And I know that the more countries that have access to this type of shit than they did then. It freaks me out knowing 
how many nuclear power plants we have being run by human beings, bio-robots, if you will, <laughs> because they're fucking idiots. Humans are inherently stupid. We make horrible mistakes every single day. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody else uh, or actual robots should be doing this. Yeah, I mean, there, there, have, there have been... <coughs> excuse me. There have been other... There have been other nuclear instances, but never... Incidents. I- incidents, sure. But never, you know, Three Isle Island... Th- three Isle Island, wow. Three Mile Island. Right. And then uh, one in Japan, which was actually pretty recently, I think. <coughs> uh, some, I remember that. Something exploded in Japan, but it wasn't... The core was not exposed. The nuclear reactor did not explode as if it were a nuclear bomb. Um, the most frustrating part of that first episode was watching him be like, the core is still there. <laughs> and they were like, Jatlov, the core is gone. And he was like, go back to the core, draw a picture of it, and return to me, showing it to me. Yeah, man. That... What the fuck? God. Took like 45 minutes for them to be like, oh no, the core is gone. Hey, go look down over, look into <laughs> look into the core. It's go- The building was gone, bro. If you look into the core, it's like looking a what, what what's something that you can't you cannot look directly into the sun. An eclipse. Much the same way you cannot look into an exposed core or you're dead. You're when they dead. Send, when they send the guys back, when he sends them back and he's like, "You go back in that room, you look down into it <laughs> and you tell me exactly what you see." And then like two episodes later they're sending guys to clean up and they're like, "Whatever you do, don't look over the edge into the core because you'll die." And then one of the guys cleaning it like can't fucking help himself as he's like throwing I know, rocks. I like, know he's you're like, too close, kind man. Of peering over, dude. No, God, stop that. Fucking a man. Um, but so yeah, I I don't think that a nuclear reactor is ever going to completely explode like that again. I mean, God, I sure hope not. You would think that based on what happened in Chernobyl, yeah. the protocol at all nuclear power plants across the entire fucking planet has been like doubled down on. Uh, Obviously, the the coolest thing about the finale was that it jumped ahead to 1987, the year of my birth, and the trial of the fucking idiots who ran the plant, while at the same time taking us all the way back to the day before the explosion and everything that unfolded leading up to it. And it was an absolute shitstorm on every level. Like, the stupidity behind the reasoning for Dyatlov carelessly pushing his own men to execute that test that ultimately caused the meltdown was so infuriating to watch, dude. Yeah. I mean, because everybody's that, met yeah. somebody like Dyatlov at some point in their life. Somebody that's just fucking angry, all they care about is themselves, and it, they're just so disconnected from what really matters that something like this can happen. I yeah. mean, I love the argument that this could only happen in the Soviet Union, it could only be fixed by the Soviet Union, because guys like Dyatlov could only be in positions of power <laughs> in a place like the Soviet Union. Right. Like, right. you would have to be so backward in your system to get... So, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. We get stupid people at the top of our system all the time. It, it's part of the way it works. Politics in general breed this sort of uh, issue, right? Because there's so much ego involved in the I am the decision-making person with the power. And this motherfucker, Dyatlov, let it get to his head so bad... That he didn't give a shit about it. You're running a nuclear power plant, sir. This isn't a cereal factory. What the shit is wrong with you? Yeah, watching him uh, essentially just almost kill everyone yeah. in Russia. Yes, is is uh, was was something. Fuck this guy. He got <laughs> ten years hard labor. Ten years hard labor, and then was out, and then lived to be like sixty-two or some shit. Yeah, he killed children, <laughs> lots of children. 
so fucked up, man. Uh, through the first four episodes, all we did was chronicle the fallout, right? Both the nuclear and the political fallout of Chernobyl. And, I mean, we cover everything. From how radiation destroys a human body and spreads, to how it eats away at a living organism, period. To the horrific task of putting down all the pets in the fucking city. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, first four, first four episodes, great TV. I thought the fourth was the weakest of the first four. Mm. Then... Episode five just cemented this thing for me. It, I mean, I don't think they could have better wrapped up the story. And I, that particular thing you pointed out already where he's walking us through exactly how it happens was one of the reasons I loved it so much. Is yeah. Because I felt like I walked away with an actual understanding of the science behind a nuclear reactor, specifically an RBMK nuclear reactor, which they no longer fucking use, uh, or they fixed, I guess. And I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know how any of it worked up until episode five, and I didn't really care to know, honestly. It was enlightening, and you learned something. And what I especially liked about the courtroom scene, shouts to our man, Roose Bolton, another Game of Dude. Thrones character coming through, cashing a check. Yes. Um, or Ruse Bolton, as you might say. Uh, <laughs> that is how I say it. Ruse. Uh, I'm it, Roz. <laughs> I liked... Um, I liked that you you got the sense of that kind of government insidiousness. Yeah. But it wasn't like it wasn't as blatant or on its face as you might expect. Right. You know what I, I mean? I almost expected guys in the courtroom to be telling other people to like shut up or what they could or couldn't say. Right. Yes. But yeah. I think but they let they let him s- say everything. They because, didn't stop dude, him. They I didn't... think because it had gotten to such a point, though. I mean, where he's literally dying, like, in front of them. His mm-hmm. body is fucking on a time bomb, basically. And this is a man who they couldn't not listen to. And then there was a point also where his boy Should be has him. to, yeah, yeah, is like, shut the fuck up. This guy's the one right, who's going to tell us what's what. Yeah. True, true. But I, I just, I kind of appreciated, it, and even the scene after when the KGB agent comes in and is basically like, dude, we're not going to shoot you. We're just, we're just going to take your life away, yeah. basically. He's like, it's, your life will be a shell of what it is. And I thought that that was just, it was interesting. It was impactful just to know that like, you know, they're, they're, they're not just going to take this dude out back and put one in his head right this minute right. because he, because of what he just did. Right. Like it's, it's, it's almost. Not that they could, I mean. Not that they couldn't have or not that they didn't in other situations. Yeah. It's because he but was in so this, public But in this facing. one in particular, like, I don't know, it was just. It was even, you know, it was almost even scarier that instead they were just going to leave him in his office, not let anybody talk to him because that would be a, a stain on anybody that, you know, collaborated with him. Yep. Be a stain on their career. They couldn't They couldn't go around doing that. So he wouldn't have any friends. All the work that he had previously done was going to be credited to other, to other scientists. People. Like the whole thing, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, you know, what's what's worse, really? Being like killed, being or killed, or just having your legacy ripped away and your, and your life kind of reduced to something meaningless. The the KGB guy was one, another one of the harder things. He was probably the second hardest character to watch behind Dyatlov, just because you knew he had ultimate power. Nobody could say shit to that. Yeah. There was nothing that was going to happen to that guy until the dissolution of the Soviet Union. The the KGB, and if you if you want to get into the history of Russia. And like why things ended up the way they did it is a very, very long and storied, problematic, in many cases, depressing history of a 
very failed nation <laughs> in a lot of cases. And it bred that sort of defensive paranoia that turned into the KGB, that turned into, that all in all, when it was all said and done, and you can look at the full circle of it, it led to this. It's, it's what led to this sort of disaster uh, taking place, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it just, it really, really is mind blowing that that many bad decisions could be made in a row at the fr- up front in like episode one or whatever. Then it, it takes a million incredibly brave decisions to fucking undo those bad decisions. But just Dyatlov, I just want to punch Dyatlov's ghost right in the balls. <laughs> This episode of OCC is also brought to you by ExpressVPN. Admit it, you think cybercrime is something that happens to other people. You may think nobody wants your data or that hackers can't grab your passwords or credit card details. You would be wrong. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest and cheapest ways for hackers to make money. Uh, when you leave your internet connection unencrypted, you might as well be writing your passwords on credit card and credit card numbers on a big billboard for the rest of the world to see or something. You need to take action. Protect yourself from cybercriminals. Use ExpressVPN. It secures and anonymizes, which is not a word, anonymizes <laughs> is the word, uh, your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. It's easy to use. It has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet. It takes one click to turn on, and using ExpressVPN, you can safely surf on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having your personal data stolen for less than 7 bucks a month. You can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have. ExpressVPN is the number one rated VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash clams. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash clams for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash clams to learn more. Perhaps the most damning part of HBO's miniseries uh, beyond all the imagery and, and watching the visualization of everything that they were able to put together was the text that followed in the wake of, of the finale's final images, right? So we get a line from Jared Harris playing Valerie Legasov, who was the commission and uh, head of the commission investigating Chernobyl, where he says, where I once would fear the cost of truth, now I only ask... What is the cost of lies? Which is the whole theme of the, the, the yes. miniseries was what yep. is the cost of lies? Right. And then we get some facts on the disaster to put things in perspective and they come with images. I want to address the ones that I found to be the most important and shocking. First of all, Valerie Legasov took his own life at age 51 on April 26, 1988, exactly two years after the explosion at Chernobyl. You got to think that that was on purpose. I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm betting that he was aware. It was meaningful for him, right? Audio tapes of his memoirs were circulated around the scientific uh, community in Soviet Russia, and his suicide made those tapes impossible to be ignored, which I thought was a very important sort of period on that. Like, it's one thing if he just kills himself. It's another entirely, if he was going to die already, he was, he was fucking melting, essentially, from cancer. And his suicide caused the tapes that all of his memoirs were recorded on to actually be paid attention to. I mean, it, the whole thing is is just kind of incredibly tragic. Um, oh, it's it's the it's the most the most tragic, dude. I, I tell me what you think that meant. Why did his? I guess because he killed himself, they could not 
essentially just like smear him in the media or smear, you know, like say that he was just a, they, they couldn't like put words in his mouth anymore. They couldn't say that he was just a disgruntled former employee that didn't like how he had been treated after right. Chernobyl. Like, I th- I like, think did, it was... like, did, like, did the, did, did that kind of mean that the suicide just made him, uh, more believable to the scientific community? Maybe a little bit. I, I sort of took it as that it is likely those hundreds of scientists and the other members of the government that were obviously cool with Valery Legasov by the end of it all, that his suicide caused them to stand up more, Yeah, is my yeah. guess. That it caused more people to be like, no, fuck that, we're not ignoring this. The man killed himself. Right. We're going right. to listen to the tapes. We're going to let other people listen to the tapes. Yeah. We're going to figure out what happened. That makes sense. Another line, in the aftermath of his death, Soviet officials finally recognized the design flaws of the RBMK nuclear reactor. He had to fucking kill himself before they even did. That, yeah. And the reactors were yeah. then retrofitted to, present, to prevent an accident like Chernobyl from happening again. To be clear, that's two years later, the dude kills himself. Then they acknowledge the RBMK nuclear reactors are broken. Yes. And they go retrofit them to prevent this from happening again. Yes. Brutal. Uh... The character of Ulana Komyok, who we discussed, as I mentioned earlier, Komyok. represented dozens of scientists who worked with Legasov and was created specifically to represent them and to honor their dedication and service to truth and humanity. Boris Sherbina, who was played by Stellan Skarsgård, died on August 22nd, 1990, four years and four months after he was sent to Chernobyl. So this is a guy who, I think this is important because this is a guy who was sent to Chernobyl, was largely uh, outside of... Obviously, Legasov, he was the main dude Mm -hmm. who was in charge, and he didn't actually interact with any of the explosion or go clean up or anything like that. He's just there, right? Four years, and it killed him. I I thought it was a a good scene, too, when he... Well, I really liked the whole scene. His, he, his, him, when he and Legasov have the conversation outside of the courthouse while they're under recess, and, I mean, that's just great scene, great acting... But when he basically says, like, like you told me, I believed you, but at the same time, you always kind of think, well, I'll be okay. Yeah. I, I, and like, of course you would have. Yeah. Because you were just, you were there. You weren't, you weren't sensing anything while you were there. You weren't tasting metal. You weren't close enough to like feel, you know, any type of this wild radioactive. Right. Because you imagine it would be like almost this, like this, like warm, th- right? Like, like you, yeah, like sure. eating away Some at you or type something. Type of buzz, or yeah. But you're you just—it's just a place. You're, you're just there, yeah. right? And so, of course, it, it, I'm—you know—you can really imagine that it was difficult to like really have that truthful conversation Dude, with it, yourself. Like, like, oh, well, just by being here and and running the cleanup, I'm killing. I'm gonna—I'm gonna die in five. It's years. like part of the human hubris right like, yeah. you you can't admit to yourself that you're going down to right 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 it's just the other humans around you yeah and that was one of the things that was i was so taken aback by during episode one was these two men are essentially committing suicide by being there yes um valerie legasov and boris Sherbina. and yet they don't seem to realize that it's because it's the whole duty on the duty to your country thing that you described that the soviet union had more than anybody else that was the whole fucking thing, right? It was all about the pride of the Soviet Union. And that drove these two dudes, that and fear, probably, <laughs> to go do their jobs. Uh, it, it's just mind-blowing. We've never seen a situation like this 
unfold in our country. Like we 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 don't have something we can point to and compare to Chernobyl. I mean, only when Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis get on that meteor and and sacrifice their lives to to save the world. It's a great movie. It was a great movie. <laughs> oh God, this thing continues for their roles in the Chernobyl disaster. Victor Bruck, what's his name, Brukhanov. And uh, Dyatlov and Nikolai Fomin, ten years hard labor. After his release, Nikolai Fomin returned to work at a nuclear power plant. Yeah, that was pretty shocking. In Kalinin, Russia, mm-hmm. bro. He was. Uh, he was. He was essentially his role in Chernobyl. What he was at the plant, he was kind of like the head scientist, basically. Okay. And he apparently got his like nuclear physics degree. Basically, through like a mail service, Mister Scientist. He was not. Long story short, this guy was not a practiced and well-respected nuclear oh. scientist. Oh, Foman wasn't damn. Fomin, Fomin, and he, uh, yeah. But you know, back in the uh, back in the saddle at a power plant, Jeez. ten years later, uh, th- this is this is something that they they talk about on the podcast about how and that happens in that happens in all governments, still happens in ours happened a big time in the Soviet Union, but all sorts of people had jobs that they had zero qualification. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's like all governments have people like that, but the worse your government is, the more people like that there are. Right. Because you're just like, oh, this dude's been a farmer all his life, but, you know, he'll definitely be able to handle our uh, NASA program. Yeah. Nepotism is not going to help you, like, fucking hiring people to run your country. That's not the way to go. Right. <laughs> a- absolutely not. Dyatlov died of radiation-related illness in 1995. The fact that he was allowed to live at all is fucking mind-blowing to me. The fact that he lived that long is infuriating. He was 64 years old. Never should have been allowed. They should have, they should have thrown that motherfucker into the place the core used to be to see, to see if he could find it, since he was so convinced it was still there. Yeah, go look at it. Go look at it, Anatoly. Yeah, look at it, dick. Uh, Kodumchuk, I can't say any of these Russian names, one of the firefighters, Valerie, the one that he died down there, he's permanently entombed under Reactor 4. They were never even able to get this fool's body out. It's just there forever, which is nuts. Speaking of which, the firefighter's clothing still remains in the basement of Pripyat Hospital. It is dangerously radioactive to this day, and we see actually footage of someone yes. approaching it with a decimeter that reads... 645. <laughs> How about that modern little new decimeter? That was that was pretty cool. How that about, was pretty nifty. Dude, okay, question. Dosimeter? Dosimeter. Whatever. There's there's clearly you, scientists have been to Chernobyl. Yes. Since this happened. They have. Is it that you can wear a suit that protects you from this? They yeah, they have full on like I'm sure state of the art protective protective suits. I imagine that they are also not permitted to spend very much time there. Yeah, that it's in and out. So it's of pretty that, that you got to be probably a couple hours max within even in that suit. Jesus, can you even and imagine? You probably though? only get like a day, and then you can't do it again ever. Yeah, yeah, or you get fucking cancer. Right. It, I just the idea that the air and things you can't see could be actively killing you. Not could be, they are. Mm-hmm. Is crazy. And like, the, I mean, I guess it's it's never struck me the way it struck me watching the show. Obviously that. I mean, it's it's nuts to think that you and I would be completely unaware if a nuclear reactor melted down within miles of here, and we'd be absorbing death. 
basically. Yeah, I've got a question for you that's that's kind of semi-related. Did you ever have the feeling watching this, listening to all the stuff about radiation and nuclear and and just like you're talking about, it's just stuff in the air yeah. quietly killing you? Yeah. Did you ever like look down at your phone and be like, there are three billion of these just hanging out doing just, God knows what to us? Just set it two feet away from, <laughs> from your leg? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm with you. No, I'm. I. I often because we're we're not there yet. We haven't. Ha- they haven't been around long enough. No. for people to have literally been sitting with one of these on their lap and by their head, their whole life, and on their chest and in their hands for their entire life. Yeah. And I'm. I'm. I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little worried. It's pretty scary. Every time I see one of those articles about how you could be getting like a brain uh, tumor if you mm-hmm. hold your phone physically up against your head, I'm like, oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. And then I make another phone call. Uh, of the people that watched from the railway bridge, that incredible scene we got in episode one that we actually touched on where we see in slow motion, like people's fucking skin in, in hair, yeah, just kind of slowly, just, yeah. just off in the distance. Not a single one of them survived, yeah. uh, is reported. And that is now known as the bridge of death. Everybody who was like, Hey, look, honey, look at that glow. They're all gone because that shit just ate their bodies. 400 miners worked around the clock for a month to prevent a total nuclear meltdown. It's estimated that at least 100 of them died before the age of 40. I'll be honest with you. I expected for it to be like 400 miners worked around the clock for one month to prevent a total nuclear meltdown. Every single one of them died. These fools were nude. How'd they survive past the age of 40? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. Two of the divers who drained the fucking bubbler tanks? Still alive. That's crazy. That was crazy. What? That is crazy. Is somebody out there like, my grandpa was one of the people who drained the bubbler tanks in Chernobyl. <laughs> I guess so. That had to have been one of the scariest things that any living human has accomplished. Mm-hmm. Ever. Fucking Ro- nuts. Ross loves to drain a bubbler tank, but he just gets high as shit from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my bubbler tank's a little bit different than the bubbler tank they were dealing with. As is, that, is a, that is a smoking apparatus, though, isn't it? A bubbler? Wasn't that a thing? I don't know, Barrett. A bubbler? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's a thing. I'm almost positive. Bongs, water bongs make bubbling noises when you hit them. Okay. I wish I could do a noise, but I can't. Uh, over 600,000 people, as you mentioned, were conscripted. And by the way, conscripted just means drafted, right? I believe so, yes. They were told they were going to serve at yeah, the exclusion it, it, zone. It was not a... Um, a volunteer situation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Conscript. Enlist someone compulsorily. Yeah. And Compulsory. there's where the Soviet Union is the only government that could have fixed this it's thing tra- comes into play. Drafted. Yeah. yeah. 600,000 people they forced into the exclusion zone to take care of this shit. Obviously, many of them were affected by it. 2,600 square kilometers is the size of that zone. The inclu- exclusion zone. Uh, 300,000 people approximately displaced from their homes. They were told this was temporary. Can you imagine? Hey, Listen, this shit went down at this power plant. We need you to move. It's going to be a few months. You'll come back. You can't grab your shit now. Leave the cat. Leave your fucking clothes. We're out. They have, they still can't go back. It's still forbidden to return. All that stuff that they left, it's still fucking there. And it's still radioactive. Mikhail Gorbachev, the guy who presided over the Soviet Union until its dissolution in 1991, in 2006 he wrote, The nuclear meltdown at Chernobyl was perhaps the true cause of the collapse of the Soviet Union, which is an astonishing admission from at least to a guy who was painted as one of the dumber fuckers to ever walk the face of the earth by this show. (laughs) All Gorbachev did in this show was walk into meetings, sit down, have someone explain to him that most of his continent was in danger of dying, and then he'd be like, okay then, and then leave. He never did shit. Also... 
what happened with the birthmark with him? Is that is that something he had in real life? Yeah, or is that yeah, the actor? yeah. No, no, no. That's definitely something. He so had. they put that shit on him for for historical for historical purposes. purposes. Yes. Got it. Got it. In 2017, work was completed on the new safe confinement at Chernobyl. The new safe confinement is what it's called, and it cost two billion dollars. And I'm not clear on why, <laughs> yeah, uh, or how. A lot of science went into that. But did they essentially build a dome? To keep any more radiation from getting out? That's yeah. what they did? I believe that's what they did, yes. Doesn't that just make you wonder, like, okay, okay, fine, fine. They built a dome over it, and it's fine now. Mm-hmm. But that was in 2017. Mm-hmm. It just, like, at no point did you ask yourself, fuck, are there people, like, that I know that have gotten cancer as a result of Chernobyl? Like, you know what I mean? All of that cancer-causing shit in the air that's just been moving around the world, mm-hmm. the globe... Ever since, it it just that's just terrifying. Like that it could that that anyone else could be hurt by this anywhere else in the world is nuts. But the fact that it could happen twenty thirty years down the line, like I'm just curious how much science there is behind the disaster and the aftermath that we'll never really know because we can't be told. You know what I mean? Like, sure, it doesn't strike me as something that when you clean it up, it's over. Yeah, well, and they can't, I mean, li- like uh, like they talk about, we don't know a lot about it because it's too hard to study. Yeah, and You James. can't do the tests. You can't, not a lot of, you know, we happen to know that being really, really close to super high amounts of nuclear radiation um, causes you to taste metal. Okay. But we know that from like a very small sample size of people that have lived to Tell it, essentially. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can't do these tests. You, we don't We don't know much about it because it's very hard to study because, um, you know, of the dying and yeah, the such. death and the, and the dying. The death and the misery and the, and the I mean, the general, you know, destruction that Speaking it, that it that, all causes. Speaking on that, following the explosion, there was a, and this is the only way they put it, there was a dramatic spike in cancer rates across Ukraine and Belarus. The Bel- highest Belarus. increase. Belarus. The highest increase was among children. Yep. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's the thing that does, I can't wrap my head around. It's like, I would hate Russia forever, forever and ever. If, if, if someone in my family, like if I lived in the Ukraine and like my fucking dad died because these dicks couldn't keep their nuclear power plant together. Yeah. That's awful. I just feel like they're used to that in Ukraine and Belarus and Russia. It's just shit over there. Just awful. Like that is that, I'm serious though. That is just the type of stuff that they deal with. All the time, I feel like. Yeah, that's why their music is so depressing. We uh, we will never know the actual human cost of Chernobyl. Most estimates range from four thousand to ninety three thousand deaths. That's not uh, a very small window there. That's a that's a large broad window. range. The official Soviet death toll, unchanged since nineteen eighty seven, is thirty one. Classic. Thirty one. Classic Russia. Good. It is classic Russia. It, perhaps the most classic <laughs> Russia example of all time is that they tried to say 31 people died as a result of a nuclear reactor core exploding. Exploding, yes. Yeah. Exploding. Uh, and then, of course, the last words on the screen are, in memory of all who suffered and sacrificed. And I really loved that angle that this document, or not a document, this miniseries took, is it, it showed the human cost of it all. And that was the part that you couldn't wrap your head around unless you had something like this to help you. Mm-hmm. You can't wrap your head around what it would be like to bust 400 miners into a nuclear 
power plant that has exploded unless you watch it on the TV screen. And I, I was, I mean, if these people, if, if Russia as a country, if the miners had all just been like, fuck this, dude, it would have just kept spreading. People just would have kept dying. Russia, the continent would have fucking been poisoned forever. Mm-hmm. You could not, no one would be able to live there. It's, it would have gone down the rivers. It would have gone through the fucking ground. It would have been over. That's so crazy to imagine. We almost ruined the world, basically. That's how bad this fucking accident was. Yeah. And to me, it's the only example that I can think of outside of dropping a nuclear weapon on a city, which has happened twice, obviously. It's the only thing I can think of where we like, we really did come close. Man, we really fucked some shit up here. <laughs> and it may, it's like, dude, should we even mess with nuclear energy? Like, what the shit? And I'm not going to get into that whole thing. But oh my God, it was just a lot. Well, um, you know, you, you, you do mention that question. And the, uh, yeah, so I was talking to my dad who, when he's, you know, he's been in the energy business down in Houston for, you know, forever, basically. And uh, since the dawn of time, since the dawn of time, yes. And he was telling me that when the uh, when there was the the issue at the Fukushima plant in Japan, that's what it was, Fukushima. Yeah, that essentially killed what people in the energy world were calling the nuclear renaissance. Ah, like it was back on the rise. Okay, because it is it, it's renewable and it's clean. It's so much it, cleaner. It yeah. doesn't doesn't pollute. Like there's like they you know they I believe they mentioned this right there in the last episode. Like there's no smoke. There's no flame. Right. It's clean. It, right. It's a clean it, burn. So it's uh you know it's like if it wasn't so terrifyingly dangerous, it would be an unbelievable solution. But yeah accidents happen and they yeah. and they immediately have people freaked out and it kills like the progress that I get that, that we make. Yeah. I get that. Well, if you wanted to know, I'm sure millions of people have Googled how many nuclear power plants are there in the United States and where are they located? There are sixty commercially operating nuclear power plants with ninety eight nuclear reactors in thirty US states. So just keep that in mind when you sleep. There's, there's a, a huge one down on the uh, on the Texas coast. Yeah. Uh, when you pull them up on a map. South Texas nuclear power plant. Gets a little gets a little freaky. Yeah. You're like, oh, they're not that far away. <laughs> wow. This episode of OCC is also brought to you by Me Undies. You probably spend about 90% of your life in underwear. So don't you think you owe it to yourself to make sure you're wearing the softest undies in town? That's why Barrett and I only wear Me Undies. These undies are so soft. Undies. They make Bob Ross's voice sound like Gilbert Gottfried. MeUndies uses the coveted micro-modal fabric, which is a full three times softer than cotton. Not only will you feel like your loins are being hugged by joy itself, but MeUndies gives you multiple style options for both men and women. Men can now try the new boxer brief with fly. It's the same great cut as the boxer brief, but it has an added option for guys who prefer to go through the front door versus over the fence. Men and women. MeUndies is also the go-to for the (laughs) softest loungewear on the planet. Hang out in their super comfy lounge pants and onesies. Yes, MeUndies <laughs> makes onesies. Uh, they have a great offer just for you, Clam Fan. For any first-time purchasers, when you get any MeUndies, you get 15% off and free shipping. 15% off a pair of the most comfortable undies you will ever put on. To get that 15% off your first pair with free shipping and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, you go to MeUndies.com dragon. That's M-E-U-N-D-I-E-S dot com slash dragon. And the last thing we're going to discuss is the very ironic tourism boom that has occurred 
as a result of the success of HBO's five-part miniseries Everybody's Chernobyl. booking their flights to Russia? I'm, I'm not joking. Uh, one Chernobyl tour agency reported a 40% rise in trip booking since the series began in May. Okay, wait. A Chernobyl tour agency? What do you What do you go tour? I, I, thought, I just thought we t- said you can't go there. These are the questions I need to have the answers to. Do they put you in one of the suits and then bus you there and then you have 10 minutes and they bus you out? I, Why I would yeah, anybody I go? I don't know. But I, look, I do want to go to Russia. Shouts to our former coworker and friend, Ryan, who is over... Uh, in Russia, right? Oh this, yeah, right he is. This, Holy right shit! This second, I, dude, I totally forgot. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's I, this actually also brings up another question. I was wondering what Russia thinks of this miniseries. Are they over there, like, kind of scratching their heads, like, yeah, yeah pretty, yeah, pretty much, how I went. Yeah, or are they, you know, kind of doing the whole communist thing this and being like, we denounce this. It's a lie, right. full of untruths, fake news, right? Yeah, the fake news. It, did you find out one way or the other? No, no, I didn't. I wondering? didn't look that part. I didn't look that part up. I didn't get a chance to yet. I feel like I would. I wouldn't even know where to go for Russia's perspective. I, I guess the first question is: Can you can you get HBO or HBO Go in an old in mother, mother Russia? In, in mother Russia. HBO goes you. <laughs> I, I, none of these jokes even hit. They don't. They, I haven't hit a single one. I'm on like eight. <laughs> Eight attempts in three weeks. But Zero. Yeah, all, right, all right, let's let's get over there. Let's get know. over there. I don't know let's why you out. would want to go, but I think it's like a from a distance sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But then again, I don't know. I'm looking at photos of people like walking through Pripyat, and it's a shame because you can't see you, you can't even see the Kremlin anymore because you know Tom Cruise blew it up. He did I, blow and, up the Kremlin. Yeah, he blew up the Kremlin. Kremlin's gone. Gone. <laughs> Fucking the mission was impossible. The mission was impossible. It resulted in the devastating <laughs> collapse and explosion of the Kremlin, and you can't even see it anymore. It's a real bummer. Yeah. 50,000 people lived in uh, Pripyat, mainly power plant workers. They're all gone, obviously. Uh, they had an amusement park with a merry-go-round and a dodge car track, which I have to assume means uh, bumper cars, Bumper right? cars, yeah. Mm-hmm. You call them dodge cars dodge cars, baby. And a giant Ferris wheel that never even went into operation, that wheel that we see. in in. Uh, oh, wait, no, no, we didn't. No, they never showed us a Ferris wheel, I don't think. Um, I just saw a Ferris wheel in something. Yeah, was, that was in the Game of Thrones, uh, The Last Watch. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. That's the one that popped <laughs> into my head, too. I was like, wait a minute, that wasn't it. That wasn't at Chernobyl at all. Uh, but yeah, they've driven tourism up. Uh, apparently, you can see the plant in the ghostly abandoned town that neighbors it for yourself if you want to. I don't know how this works. I'm not clear on the science behind whether or not it's safe. Uh, please, for the love of God, do not go to Chernobyl saying that you heard that it was a good idea on a podcast or something. <laughs> I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, if you can go, if you were told, Barrett, that they have a suit that they can put you in, you can go walk around Chernobyl and experience it, and there is a 0% chance that you're going to get cancer as a result, would you do it? Yes. You would? Yeah, if they tell me that there's a 0% chance, yeah. You trust the idiot doctor telling you 0% chance? A doctor pulled the fucking trigger on this whole thing. I mean, some scientists have already been over there doing it. Datlov lived to be 62. <laughs> he, shit, you should be fine. I, I just, it, it's crazy, man. It, it really is one, it's one of the crazier things that's ever happened in humanity. Yeah, and, that is true. That is a, yeah. And it's something that we had never really seen a good amount of uh, footage, I guess you could say, about. I, I'd never seen it or read it told in a way that really framed it all up for I mean, me. it's been a really long time. It has, too. it has. 31 years. Yeah. 31 years. I turned 31 on... Uh, like Friday or something, Thursday, soon. One of these days, I turned 31. Longer than that. It's, 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 it's my age. Been 32, right? 
86. It's this happened in 86. No, 87. It, no, it was 86. Nuh-uh. Yes. Are you sure? Yeah. That Chernobyl exploded in 86? Yes. Yeah, you're right. Positive. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. The dramatization yeah. so of the 1986 yeah. nuclear accident. So 32 years, indeed. Fine, you can have this one, okay? You can take this one in your birth month. I'll get some <laughs> other disaster and put it into mine. But that will do it for today's episode of OCC. Huge thank you again to our sponsors for supporting the show. Make sure you support them to support us. And if for some reason you don't need some of the greatest products known to man, which are brought to you by the sponsors of OCC, then you can support us directly by going to patreon.com slash oysters, clams, cockles. In June, you're going to get uh, the last watch discussion. Two separate podcast episodes are dropping where we discuss HBO's documentary focusing on the making of the last season of Game of Thrones titled The Last Watch, the first podcast of which is available now. The second hour of discussion is coming soon. We've also got Dark Phoenix coming up as our first movie club movie. Hell yeah. In June, which is exciting. So hit patreon.com slash oysters, clams, cockles today. Support OCC, Clam Fan for Life. Uh, follow us on social media for updates on the best in TV and movie content that you can find on the whole of the internet. Instagram.com slash Oysters, Clams, Cockles. Twitter.com slash Clams and Cockles. Facebook.com slash Oysters, Clams, Cockles. You can follow me, Ross Bolin, on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at W-R-B-O-L-E-N, at W-R-B-O-L-E-N on all three. And, of course, my other show focusing largely on comedy, humor, life, mental health, animals, pirates, ninjas, and more is the Ross Bolin Podcast, and you can listen to it in all the same places that you're listening to OCC. Barrett, where can we follow you? You can follow me across the social media, ums, media, medias, Ruse Bolton, uh, at Barrett Dudley, Instagram and Twitter. You can also check me out on the Club Cool Podcast, which meets at the intersection of style and pop culture. Last week, we talked about the new Sakai, Sakai and Nike collaboration. We talked... Phil and I broke down one of our favorite comedy shows, which we mentioned here last week, yeah. Veep, on HBO. This week, uh, you know, we got a, a, a another great run of stuff on the docket for you, so check it out wherever you're listening to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles. You can follow it on Instagram at Club Cool Pod. Club Cool Pod. That'll do it for today. We'll be back next week. Uh, what are we going to be talking about next week? Big Little Lies and Handmaid's Tale, baby. Oh. Both? Content. Content. Both. Yeah. Next week, we're going to talk about both. Both will be back? Both will be back. This Sunday. Uh, well, Handmaid's Tale is Hulu, so it's not a exactly... It's, Handmaid's it's, is a Wednesday it's deal. different style drop. They're a Wednesday drop. And I, Handmaid's Tale actually, I believe, debuts tomorrow. It's tomorrow Wednesday? Yeah. Ah! And then Big Little Lies on Sunday. And yeah, we should, we should have a, you know... I miss Alfred. A few minutes on uh, on each of those, I would I would suspect. If you haven't watched Chernobyl yet, and your life is not enshrouded in a cloud of depression and darkness, Handmaid's Tale is here oh, soon. Oh, God, it is so dark. You've got this. <laughs> it, we're all going to be just fine. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week. Be sure to watch all the television and movies that are available, because we're going to be talking about all of them. Adios, muchachos. Bye. Bye.